Hi, I'm Jackie Goddard and this is Power to Speak, the podcast, where I talk to a mix of creatives, thought leaders, authors, in fact, anyone with an interesting and inspiring story to tell. How did they get here? What have they learned? And how can their journey help us mere mortals? In this episode, I talk to Emily Nash, Head of Client Services for Burlington Media Group, a market-leading niche B2B publishing, media and events company for the legal market. Mmm, intriguing. But that's only half the story. Emily is a musician and singer and has used her classical music training and all that she learned from traveling the world with Rock School to help herself and her clients network, connect and innovate. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to the Power to Speak, the podcast with Emily Nash. And Emily, you are the client services manager. Uh, yeah, head of client services. Head of client services for the Burlington Media Group. And it's lovely to have you here today. Um, so t- I'm going to jump straight in because I sent you over some icebreaker breaker questions. And just, you know, I'd, the, one, the first one that came back was that you have eaten pig's testicle soup. And I want <laughs> to know why, how and what that was like. So tell yeah. us what happened there. So it was so I've done quite a lot of travel through um, my 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 experiences through work. Um, this particular experience was when I was traveling with uh, an exam board called RSL um, and I was in Hong Kong uh, and I had uh, spent the first day uh, examining music exams, which is what I was doing then, um, went to a cafe for lunch. Um, and then on the cafe menu, they had lots of different pictures of uh uh, the food you can eat, uh, but nothing in English. So that was fine by me. I like the experience of kind of trying different things, um, pick something out that looked quite nice. And I can remember they gave they, when they brought it, there was just this one sort of strange ball floating in the in the soup. <laughs> and I did look at it and think, oh, that's a bit strange. Let's just try it and see. And I can remember it being, it was all right. It was a bit grisly. Um, and then uh, anyway, I ate it all. And then the next day came back with a colleague who I was working with. And she said, oh, um, oh, oh, you came here. What, what did you try? And I said, oh, it was, it was this one on the menu. And she looked at me and went, oh, pig testicle soup. <laughs> so it was just one of those, uh, those random moments where, you know, fortunately it was a day ago, so I didn't feel too bad. <laughs> um, but it was good to have tried it by, by accident, uh, effectively. <laughs> did, 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 your, did your stomach suddenly go, oh, my God, oh, ooh, I can't believe I did. That's what I did. I'm eating. I did, absolutely. And it's, it's difficult, though, because I was with, um, you know, someone who was born there and I didn't want to offend her by saying, ah, you know, this is, this is, this is horrible. And in all honesty, it wasn't horrible. It just wasn't what I was used to. So um, absolutely. I think if I'd have known, it wouldn't have been something I'd have tried. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like something out of um, you, um, celebrity, get me out of here. I know, I know. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, I, I could never, I could never do those things. Absolutely not. Especially with the live bugs. <laughs> No, anything with legs. That are, no, no, no. <laughs> so tell us a, a little bit then about how, because are you, like me, have had a bit of a sort of a jungle gym career. Yeah. Now. You know, I mean, it's not it's not this kind of start at the bottom and, and get to the top. You know, you've kind of gone all over the place. So how how did your career start? Let's let's go back to maybe, you know, what what did you study at school? What did you want to be when you were a little girl? Um, so when I was very little, I, I'd always known I wanted to do something in music. Um, I, you know, I played piano, I sang, I played guitar, I played the cello as well when I was younger um, and really wanted to do something in music. And as that progressed, I'd love, you know, I, I wanted to do film editing. I wanted to become more involved with the sort of technical aspects of music technology and all sorts. So um, I ended up doing the music and music technology degree at Keele University. Um, I can remember my dad sort of bit his tongue thinking, you know, oh, I don't know if you should do this, it's not going to get you very far kind of thing. But it was definitely what I wanted to do. It appealed to all the creative, you know, parts of my nature. Um, and it was, um, it was a really great degree, uh, a really, really interesting experience. You know, I absolutely loved working with the people I worked with. I loved my lecturers. Uh, I loved um, sort of the freedom to uh, express myself and um, and really grow. You know, it was at a time in my life when, um, you know, those, those times of your lives are very influential and you're you know, 18 to 21 uh, and learning about um, the world, becoming a, you know, the person who you are. 
so I really wanted to go into, um, like I said, sort of music editing, um, uh, composition, performing even. I, you know, I did a lot of, um, uh, you know, open mic nights, those kind of things. I had my own bands that I was in. Uh, and from, from, from there, I went into teaching. I was teaching alongside university and I did um, private tuition, which was lovely. Um, allowed me to see an awful lot of um, young people not actually that far away from my age myself you know kind of growing up and developing themselves in a musical creative environment um uh and then through teaching uh, i uh, after i'd had a fair bit of experience fair few experience i went to become an examiner at rock school or rsl as it's known now uh, and rsl is a, a music exam board it offers um, the same level of qualifications as uh, classical exam boards. And you can do, for example, um, you know, a rock guitar uh, exam, or you can sing in soul or blues, or you can play uh, you know, funk pieces in your drum exam. So it's a really expressive, really kind of open, creative environment for young people to thrive in. And um, through rock school, I was able to do a lot of traveling. So uh, I went all over the world, um, went to many, many different countries, a lot of Asian countries, Australia, a lot of European countries, uh, and uh, examined. So um, in a nutshell, after then, I became business development manager for rock school. Uh, I moved down to London um, and still continued with my traveling and all sorts. Um, and that gave me sort of a, quite a clear route into sales and to business development. Um, so I progressed from this very musical, very creative environment to um, a more customer focused, a more sort of business development role. Um, and then from there, I went to where I am now, which is a Burlington Media Group, which uh, completely differently is uh, a, a group for publishing and events for the legal business managers. So I now do client services there. So a very, a very kind of, as you say, sort of a... Um, um, not quite a roller coaster, but a very in and out sort of route to where I've got to now. Yeah, I mean, it's it's, a, it's so interesting, isn't it? How we kind of develop and take things, you know, take take things from our early life. But you know, it, it doesn't matter which way we're going, we kind of we we bring that creativity with us, which I think is great. But I'd love to go back. We'll we'll talk about the business development in a minute. But I'd love to go back to the rock school thing because I, <laughs> I mean, is it did it come from the film? I assume it must have. Uh, I think the, the film came after that, actually. There was, ah. there was um, a programme called Rock School back in, I think it was in the 80s, um, which is sort of what it, it, it kind of developed from. Um, but it's been, it's been around for, for a really long time. You know, the first exams, I think, were available in around 1991. Um, so it was, it's, you know, you think we're, you know, 2021 now. Uh, that's, you know, 30 years it's been around. Um, lots of people worldwide have taken the exams and um, it's a really, you know, it's a really brilliant way, as I said, for, you know, for, for, for uh, young people to get into the kind of music that they want and get yeah. the same qualifications. Yeah, yeah. And it's a great way to experiment as well. I used to um, do the exam board for, La for Lambda, which is uh, mm. London Academy of Music and Drama uh, mm. and Dramatic Arts. And they, it was a, a similar exam board. I think it was through Trinity. But again, working with young people on expressing themselves, really, finding some kind of creativity. Obviously, in my case, it was with words and poetry and sort of uh, drama and stuff. Um, but it, it really is a, a fantastic way for, for young people to sort of just, you know, dip their toe in and just get that. Absolutely. Get and of performing and almost. Yeah, absolutely. And you just, you know, um, I think in this day and age, there, there needs to be so many more avenues for people to be able to be able to express themselves and to be able to, you know, become the creative beings that they are yeah. um, through these different methods. And something like that board of exams really does give, um, you know, allow for the opportunity for that. And for me personally, uh, it's not only allowed for um, sort of my creativity, creativity to shine, but it's also given me so many more opportunities to learn about um, the world you know we did an, like I said awful lot of traveling with rock school I used to spend you know two three months of time uh, out in different countries by myself um, learning uh, working and learning about that country and um, you know the sort of the environment that, that that produces for you is really really incredible you don't get many opportunities like that in your life to go and visit lots of different cultures uh, understand uh, a lot more about people, about how they react to things, about how they accept things or not. And, um, you know, 
in, in, in trying to sort of reach people and sort of develop your own personality and your own experiences and how you need to be in the world uh, is um, or can be you know, greatly influenced by doing something such as travel. Yeah. But I think, you know, the, um, the allowances for that in my life have been, um, you know, really you know, life changing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's say the, it broadens the horizons, as they say. You know, it's a really for you. To, to, I mean, the, the culture of eating pig's testicles. It's you know, it's that wouldn't come without actually travelling to different countries and seeing how other other uh, other people live. And actually, in in lockdown with Zoom, I've been able to not go global, but to to be in other people's living rooms all over the world. And you really get this kind of idea of how other cultures live. And actually, the, you know, we all have a different way of, of looking at life, you know, whichever country you come from, whichever culture you're brought up in. But actually, you know, we're all we're all the same, really. People's living rooms are pretty much the same all over the world. Absolutely. And isn't it that isn't it lovely that we've all had that opportunity to see sort of more into people's lives, not in a nosy or sort of a privacy invading, invading way, but just in, as you said, in, a, in order to be able to see everyone as a human being, uh, you know, everyone has that same essential, you know, um, living um, set up, you know, everyone, everyone has their own space, everyone has their own, you know, it, challenges to deal with, you know, for example, with children, with pets, um with multiple other 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 things um and to be able to sort of have a little piece of that and understand more about it I think is one of the good things that have come out of the pandemic many yeah. bad things but a, f- a few good things have come yeah yeah no absolutely um and in terms of rock school though did you I had to when I was doing lambda I had to take one of the exams to kind of know <laughs> so that I knew what it was like to go through one did you do did you do that for rock school did you do any of the exams I did, and I, I did that voluntarily before um, I, I, I tried to be an examiner. Um, you know, I'd, my students were doing, I was teaching my students to do the exams, and I had been brought up in the classical way, so I had done um, ABRSM exams, Trinity exams, I think I'd done London College of Music exams as well, and um, yeah, so, you know, by the, t- by the time I came to teach rock school, I, I, I wanted to know myself more about the exams and, and, and understand it. Well, the really lovely thing about um, that syllabus that I did in particular is that they did have, you know, um, whole kind of bars, whole, whole, sorry, not just bars, whole, um, you know, sections within the pieces for you to improvise. Um, and you could sort of choose how much uh, improvisation you wanted to do as you, as you, as you rose through, through the grades. Um, and it, you know, it was a really, uh, I found that really wonderful. First of all, I was from my classical perspective, I was like, oh my goodness, how am I, what am I going to do here? You know, how am I going to teach people what to do here? But uh, as you, you know, as you, uh, as you understood the music more and understood the exam more, it was, um, it proved to be a really uh, delicious thing to yes. have in Yeah, I, mean, I do improv in my, in, with my drama background and I run uh, improv and I have done online in lockdown, which is, um, yeah unusual um but yeah and if people that have listened to this podcast before will hear me I I think I mentioned it every single podcast that I've done so far it's this thing around improvisation and how freeing it is and how it just gets the brain uh, ignited um, and actually it has been proven there's a guy called Dr Charles Lim <laughs> done a, a TED talk I think it was a TEDx talk and he did a very small experiment with uh, jazz musicians mm. and with rappers as well and he put them in an MRI scan and um, looked at what was going on in their brain when they played a learned piece and mm. when they played uh, when they improvised and what he noticed on the as I say it was quite a small study but the part of the brain that deals with our um, inner critic mm-hmm. rarely shuts down so that when you're improvising, you're kind of, you know, all of that self negative self-talk is is uh, is cut off. So, you know, improvising is good for you and everybody should do it, even though it it's is really interesting. Yeah, it's quite a scary thing to do. You have to be quite brave. But that's the thing. And I think, you know, with uh, anything musical, you know, the, the key really is to sort of just be able to let go. And um, I think you know, you experience that in all sorts of different things. Um, so for example, this year I've taken up meditation to try and kind of deal with some of more of the kind of, you know, um, anxiety sort of, you know, stressful symptoms that you get from, from being in a pandemic situation. And I've always thought meditation is quite sort of an airy fairy thing to, to do. Um, really, you know, 
Um, I find that a really, you know, silly thing that I thought that now, because uh, I've tried it and experienced it and realised, you know, it's not all about sort of, you know, visualisations and all sorts. It's about really kind of concentrating on, on, on you and sort yeah. of, you know, the inside of you and, you know, enabling yourself to relax and all sorts. Um, and I feel in a way that I had this kind of a, a similar um, thought process for me in terms of improvisation coming from my classical background was, you know, how do I improvise? How do I free myself to express myself in the way that I want to? Um, and uh, being able to teach that was, you know, a brilliant experience, trying to uh, get young people to really open up and do what they wanted to put their own mark on a song, to um, really make it their own, to change it, to develop it. Um, and it's a really beautiful thing, I think, to be able to um, free yourself to do. Yeah. And I think as, as young people, as children, we do it automatically. You know, you, mm. you improvise, you play, you make stuff up as you go along. Uh, whereas adults, we kind of, we shut down that part and say that, we, you know, we, we, we're not allowed to do that anymore because we're grown-ups. Actually, <laughs> it's just, you know, we should never forget that. And children are so good at it. And as, as we come through adolescence, I think it just slightly, the confidence goes. Um, but it is, it's, it's such a great tool for confidence building. I Absolutely. Yeah. I completely agree. <laughs> yeah. So how have you used the, that, all that creativity and that sort of career development that you had? How was how what parts of that creativity do you now use for the for the business uh, that you're in at the moment with the client services? So, yeah. So, I mean, so what I do now is very much around sales, around, uh, you know, customer success, uh, around uh, account management, relationship management. And um, I suppose, you know, even the improvisation links to that in a way, because it is about confidence. It is about, you know, branching out and doing something you might not be so comfortable in doing. Um, I suppose uh, more than anything, really, the, sort of the, the travel aspect of what I've done has had a huge, huge influence on what I'm now able to do. So um, in meeting lots of different people, in understanding sort of what their differences are, um, I feel that sort of what, you know, when I... When I sell to people, I don't even feel like I sell to people. What I, I do is I, I help I help my clients become, um, you know, do activities that is going to enrich their businesses. And um, I think in doing that, you know, you have to be nice, you have to be um, transparent, you have to listen to what your what your what your client says. And I feel that that's something that I've developed from. Um, listening to lots of people as I travel around, to listening to lots of music when I travel around, to playing, um, you know, gigs, um, you know, randomly when I've been in different countries, to um, just sort of learning about what what people's needs are and, and and understand more about them. And I think you get that from the expressiveness of music, but you get that from um, um, from just being with a lot of different people. Um, and I think doing that by myself really, really helped as well, because I didn't have anyone else there to influence me from my background, really. It was all about sort of just me and just me sort of absorbing everything that was there. Um, and I find that um, being able to translate that into a client services role um, means that I can I can listen to what my clients want. I can um, understand what their needs are. I can build relationships with them and I can have more confidence to do it as well. Yeah. I am probably one of the least confident people I know really inwardly you know I have to make myself be confident and I have to push myself yeah. to get there yeah. and um and I think that those experiences have you know been a massive attribute to that yeah. but I think you say that but I think most people probably do feel like that about themselves <laughs> but actually you know because we're also we're also good at hiding that that we kind of you know we kind of fool out we fool everybody else but inside we're all kind of go oh no I'm not sure about this Absolutely. <laughs> did you ever use music as a way to break down barriers when you were in other countries um so yes um uh, i mean like i kind of referenced it then about sort of last minute gigs with people um um i don't i suppose that was probably more expected of me because of the role that i was in but certainly um i can remember being in singapore once and um feeling so i've been to lots of different places in asia and singapore if you've ever been there is um more um uh, more more structured. Um, it's it's basically you know city. The country is the city. So um, I've kind of gone from you know all these different places where I was sort of you know hiking in all sorts of you know different places, going through slums in India and, and all sorts. And you had sort of this really nice ordered structured country. And in a way, I found that harder to break into because um, you know 
it was kind of like kind of going out in London and sort of just, you know, meeting someone off the street or something. But what do you do to really sort of break down barriers and sort of introduce yourself to people and sort of, you know, integrate yourself a little more so you can understand about, um, you know, the society that you're living in, um, albeit temporarily. So um, I can remember going to a jazz club in um, in Singapore and just sitting to, to listen to the music. And it was just, I'm not, I'm not particularly a big fan of jazz myself, but it was just the most you know, amazing experience to be amongst people who... Um, were really interested in you. They wanted you to join in. They were encouraging people to come up and sing and play. And I did that, even though I was like, oh my God, I can't do jazz, what am I doing, you know? And um, it was that kind of, uh, that was the key turning point in my trip there in which I started to um, speak to lots of people. Um, they introduced me to other musicians. I kind of became temporarily sort of a part of that circle of musicians in Singapore. And everyone knows each other, I think, in the music circle in Singapore. So that was a really kind of key, yeah. uh, a key moment for me. And there are multiple other times where, um, you know, I've got up and sang, I've got up and played, and it's just been something that really does allow you to fuse with people in a different way um, and bond with people um, through different language barriers and all sorts. Um, uh, and your experience with that person, I find, is very different afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, that's amazing. And, and you saying that, you know, you you don't feel that confident on the inside. I mean, what you've done there with the travel is, in, it, it, like I said, it's incredibly brave, but it's, you know, you've put yourself in some very vulnerable, vulnerable positions, but you've made yourself vulnerable because you are, you're there, you're doing it. Um, mm. and, and and we're kind of improvising all the time. You, you, you know, the, the, the kind of um, improvisation side of what you do is mm. turning up in a, in a, in a strange country in a culture that you don't know anything about and c communicating, whether that's through music or through speaking, you know, we are improvising all the time. Absolutely. So, I completely agree. And there's something about kind of stripping it back to that raw nature. When you say vulnerable, that really resonated with me because um, that is how I felt a lot um, in, um, you know, in different countries. I feel like that sometimes at home. I feel like that sometimes when, you know, I'm speaking to, to new people, I've got to make an impression. I'm sure everyone does. And I think sort of just being able to strip it back to that sort of that rawness um, allows you to sort of go back to basics and develop from that point. We're not ending here. Just taking a quick break to remind you that you're listening to Power to Speak, the podcast with my guest, Emily Nash. And there will be more from Emily. But first, we hear from our friend, fellow podcaster from Leaning Forward, Andrew Thorpe, who reminds us that we are all in the persuasion business. We're all in the persuasion business, whether that's pitching to a potential client, selling ourselves in a job interview, or convincing a teenager to tidy their room. How we frame our message and how we deliver it makes all the difference. And this is the theme of my podcast, Leaning Forward. I'm Andrew Thorpe. I'm a speaker, a trainer, and a storyteller. And I'd love you to tune in to our latest episode. Thanks, Andrew. Now, back to Emily. And you're talking about the uh, jazz music and not not particularly liking jazz music. Um, <laughs> how, how did you manage to uh, talk to a heavy metal, screaming heavy metal band, uh, <laughs> who I'd not heard of, I have to say, uh, and and tell them that, they, that you, the only music you didn't like was heavy metal? <laughs> so... so. Um, I kind of always pride myself on thinking that you know, I like I like all every every kind of music really. I even do like heavy metal to a certain extent. It's more the screaming <laughs> over the top. I've just never quite kind of gelled with. And um, we're, I was on tour with Rock School, and um, I should have known because I did know that um, Jason Bold, who's the the, uh, the drummer for for My Valentine, was one of the uh, the people who was um, going to be sort of touring with us and, and doing lots of different workshops and all sorts. And anyway, we got taken out. Uh, this was in Hong Kong again. Uh, got taken out to um, a lovely restaurant. I can remember making a series of mistakes, which I did learn from. One of which is she asked me what kind of food I liked. Uh, and I said, uh, oh, anything but seafood. And we were in a seafood restaurant. So that was the first mistake of the night. <laughs> and uh, then the second mistake was that I got talking to Jason. And he was, um, he was asking me all about me, about kind of the bands I played in and all sorts and what kind of music I, I liked. And I just looked at him and was like, oh. I like anything, you know, I really like everything, but I, I don't like screamy metal. I can remember him going, hmm, 
<laughs> as I was talking to him and then later found out that he was a drummer for Bullet Point Valentine which is uh, exactly what they do <laughs> but fortunately he was so well so well natured and so lovely um that um we got on like a house on fire that 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 trip and we um we stayed in touch afterwards as well yeah. so fortunately it wasn't too big a bigger boo-boo <laughs> well, you spent most of your life a lot of your life performing and and sort of playing music things like that during lockdown how have you used that creativity that side of you I mean obviously you said about the meditation and you <laughs> the meditation as a way of sort of dealing and and helping with your well-being but have you used do you still play do you still sing so I do. I mean, I had a child two years, just over two years ago. She's just over two now. And um, I played to her quite a lot during my maternity leave, which is lovely. Um, and I actually went back to work. I think it was three weeks before the first lockdown. Uh, and I think sort of from then till now has actually been quite difficult to, um, to, to do the stuff I love doing, i.e. you know, playing music, playing with others. You know, um, I used to do um, sort of a regular spot at a, uh, an acoustic night um, in Hammersmith um you know that's shut down we don't do that anymore uh and it has it's been difficult it's been a difficult time to kind of keep up those sort of um creative practices um but more more recently within only the last you know few weeks I'd say um I found sort of more time to do that and I think um uh for me music is more of a uh, an escape so it's something about you know me time it's about being able to be um, expressing myself you know if 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 my if my husband's out for the evening and um you know my, my daughter's in bed um I'll go to a room where she can't hear me and sing as loud as I can and kind of play, play the piano and do whatever I, or I want to do to have that, that kind of release so I think music for me is is that release uh, at the moment um and uh I would like to do a lot more of it when uh when I when I when we can when, when we can kind of play you know, in, in, in bands where we go out and do more music-wise again. Um, but one thing I have been doing is listening to a lot of music uh, in lockdown. And I think that's been um, one thing that's been, you know, really, really accessible, really, um, really good for um, my mental state um, and uh, good for just sort of improving my knowledge of, you know, what's out there and, uh, you know, liking lots of different different music <laughs> yeah my last podcast guest was a cellist called Ollie Mansfield who's fantastic and he in lockdown because obviously he was part of, an, of orchestras and recitals he does a lot of teaching too but not being able to go out into venues and actually play was quite difficult you know so he started front room concerts online and has enabled other musicians to to actually continue performing right the way through lockdown you know to to audiences and he said he was sort of saying how the how it sort of changed the format of performing especially classical music because uh, classical musicians quite often they they kind of playing collaboration with others but they kind of live in this kind of little silo of you know not really engaging with an audience whereas obviously he was saying that that uh, during lockdown it's kind of a two-way interactive uh, stream you know they, when they're streaming music and, and things absolutely so have, you, have you watched any live streaming or have you sort of um from mostly from friends when I um you have their own band so I'm, I kind of my, my favourite kind of things to listen to is usually very niche. Niche seems to be sort of a habit of a lifetime, sort of the business I do now is very niche. But, um, you know, I like listening to um, to kind of all sorts of weird and wonderful music. Um, some stuff that I listen to that was weird and wonderful isn't so weird and wonderful and more mainstream of things now. But um, I love, more than anything, I like really raw acoustic music. Um, I like to really be able to listen to lyrics um, and the vocals of a song. So um, sort of, you know, something, a simple sort of uh, ensemble um, and, uh, you know, a really kind of clear singer over the top is, is, is what I like to listen to. So, yeah, absolutely. Sort of um, in terms of streaming, um, my, 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 my friend Abby, uh, who lives in Scotland, she moved to Scotland a while ago with her husband, Andy. Um, they do um, uh, a Friday night show pretty much every Friday on Facebook. So that's sort of the biggest thing I've been listening to I think um but yeah um I'd like to do it I'd, I'd like I'd like to do a lot more and um uh I'm looking forward to those times when we can yeah yeah definitely yes more power to 
getting back out there. I've been out literally this last week and done um, a couple of networking in face to face, which has been lovely to actually see, sort of see people and people that we've. I've, I feel like I've really connected with online, and you know, God bless Zoom. <laughs> amazing to keep everybody connected but there's mm. quite quite the same as actually seeing people face to face I completely agree yeah we've gone into the office a few times recently um just for things that you know are so much easier and better to do face to face we're um we're hopefully starting to see more people in person now um a couple of people in my uh, company have already started to have face-to-face meetings which has been really good um they've been fully vaccinated so they're more um feel I suppose more tease at doing it uh, yeah. and it's something I'm, I'm I'm doing from a few weeks time as well so it'll be so it is I think the thing about zoom and, and teams and anything you know virtually is that you know you do have to kind of um you have to kind of look at every aspect of someone's face you have to kind of really kind of concentrate on exactly what's going on all the time and yeah. you don't really see in your peripheral vision you're just very very focused you know on what's in front of you so that even that experience in itself is much um, is much more developed when you're when you're face to face. You yeah. kind of absorb much more of your surroundings. You feel different. You um, you know you can act act differently. And um, I think that's that's something that will be really nice to to do in conjunction with Zoom and Teams. I think. Yes, I know. I think- <laughs> there will definitely be a hybrid of some sort. I mean, you know, I mean, absolutely getting back into to face-to-face meetings has been brilliant but what I've loved is uh, going to sort of different meetings and ending up in breakout rooms that you get quite you can get quite intimate I suppose it's sort of you know just there, there aren't really any distractions you feel comfortable because you're in your own space and I think that's that's why some of the connections I've made in uh, during lockdown have been you know quite quite meaningful I think so absolutely yeah no I completely agree um I am um, took my daughter out to the park on, on Friday and sort of for the first time um spoke to one of the other mums there and had a really good chat to her and um it was lovely kind of seeing her face to face and um yeah we're gonna go out and do a few more play dates and all sorts together <laughs> um and it just felt like you know sort of the you know the cloud is lifting and yes. we're coming to to something more um uh more more normal a new normal everyone says this but yeah. <laughs> Well, I have to say, obviously, that when we are talking here on this podcast, we are hopefully sort of July, we're looking at kind of coming out. But yeah, we've kind of been in this limbo land for about 15 months, 16 months. Yeah. Madness, isn't it really? It is. Hopefully we're we're moving out. But I think just in terms of innovation and creativity, I think it's, you know, it's kind of forced us in lots of ways to think of different ways of doing things. So in terms of in terms of your business now, and you were talking about niche earlier and how niche is a bit of a theme. Uh, <laughs> the, the company that you're working for, uh, Burlington Media Group, are quite a quite a niche kind of company. How did you come across them and how, how have you ended up working in this niche? And explain what, what the niche is. So, so Burlington Media Group is, um, so we do publishing um, and uh, events for people, so for people who run law firms effectively. So, um, and we, we silo that down into different um, sizes of law firm as well, even. So we have um, a brand called Briefing, which targets uh, always four um, large law firms in the UK, uh, of which there's about 100, 130 uh, law firms. And then um, we have LPM, which is for uh, SME firms. Um, we have another brand, which is for all sizes of firm. Um, and we have um, uh, a data service as well. So there's quite, you know, even sort of within the niche um, group that it is, there are niche brands uh, within that. So that's sort of where my niche uh, <laughs> kind of part comes. But um, they found me. So um, when I was doing business development for, for, for Rock School, they approached me um, and said that they were looking for someone to do, uh, to develop their LPM brand, their SME brand. Um, and, um, you know, would I be interested in coming to, to help them do that? So uh, I did. And um, it's been, I think for me, it was at a good time when I'd done, you know, I'd done a lot of traveling. I'd, um, I'd, um, you know, I, I think I'd come to accept that I wasn't going to be sort of the big performer that I thought I might be at one point. Um, I could still have the time to do my music and to play and to really kind of have the enjoyment and, you know, kind of creative side from, from that enjoyment, from music. But, um, but yeah, go and do something different. Uh, so it's enabled me to, um, again, meet, meet a whole new sort of a 
group of people, um, you know, um, understand more about publishing, understand more about legal businesses, understand more about uh, events. And uh, it's a completely different world. And it's, it's just, for me, I find it kind of interesting that I've come from, you know, such a, what was a musical background to such a kind of client focused, um, um, you know, kind of part of my life now. Uh, and it's just, yeah, I, I couldn't, I couldn't even, t- I couldn't even tell you how that happened. But when I look back at um, what's influenced it from, from the travel, from, um, you know, from uh, playing for people in different countries, from um, learning about uh, my own students, my own daughter, all sorts, you know, it's kind of, it's, it's been a clear, a clear transition that I would never have predicted <laughs> coming to that point. Yeah. So just in, um, if you can explain, uh, SME, I know, is small to medium enterprise. Yes. What was the other brand, the L? Um, so Briefing is the large law brand. So Briefing basically publishes a magazine every other month, um, which looks into sort of really the finer elements of business, uh, business management within legal. So it's looking at processes. It's looking at how uh, businesses can become more efficient, more competitive, um, it looks at technologies that um, they can utilize um, in order to help them do that. It links to, um, you know, kind of C-level uh, people, to heads of departments, um, to people managing their practices. Um, it might be people in HR, people in marketing, um, all sorts. It's all to do with the people who, who, who effectively run um, a law firm. So um, we have that magazine. We also do research and reporting. So um, we research the market and find out, you know, things about things like strategy investment, for example. We do um, HSBC's strategy and investment report year upon year. Um, we do the research for uh, LexisNexis's Bellwether report, which is sort of um, trends within um, SMEs uh, through, through, through LPM. So there's lots of different sort of aspects that we cover um, all within business services management. And... Um, we um we do we did do events <laughs> so we were doing in-person events um you know sort of before march last year and um we pivoted really successfully to doing virtual events so something like this for example something on zoom is um you know very very known to us we do a lot of round tables a lot of intimate things that bring together key people who would want to network and understand more about each other and how how they run their practices so um, we do hope to be doing more in, in person uh, uh, shortly uh, towards the end of the year, but um, not, not, not just yet, a few months ago. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite a competitive business, I would imagine. The, well, the legal, you know, there must be sort of quite a lot of competition between sort of legal firms and... and there is. Um, but law, I mean, law firms are really interesting in that they, and sort of in previous businesses I've been in, it's, you know, you, you see your competitors as being the bad guys almost and you know the people who you wouldn't associate with and if you ever left that company god forbid you go to your competitor which you logically would do because they do the same things that you do and you know you have those kind of skills to develop that business but um law firms are um they tend to be sort of very open-minded businesses um in terms of certainly in terms of their competitors you know they want to understand more about the other firms that are similar to them and firms that are maybe slightly bigger than them people who are doing things perhaps better than them or whatever it might be so networking is a really really big thing for law firms and understanding about the challenges or the pain points um that that the other business leaders have to have to um, improve within their within their businesses. So getting people together in terms of you know in terms of competitiveness, firms want to be able to do that networking and learn from each other and learn from sort of the bigger businesses or the small businesses and what processes or technologies are the, the the best for them. And it makes for a really nice environment for us to work with because um, you know we're there as that sort of that provider that connector. Of, um, of information. So we work with a lot of people who supply to, um, to law firms and um, um, we, we connect those people with law firms through things like our publishing and events. Um, and that's where, you know, where I come in to kind of facilitate those connections and um, help um, suppliers understand where they can help law firms and how we can best connect them. I do wonder whether, I mean, the law is something that's um, quite interesting to me. And I don't know if it's, I think it's kind of from, the reason that I am interested in acting and theatre and everything that I do is because mm. there's so 
certain amount of storytelling and performing in a lawyer's or a, you know a, or anything to do with that that sort of courtroom yeah. <laughs> and I just wonder whether you know and go with me here this is probably a bit off the wall but but just that kind of um, interesting people to be interested in the way people tick uh, to be curious about how people work and um, mm. that makes them a, a nice environment to work within because they're interested in people they're interested in you know what's what's going on out there so it's kind of quite open and quite curious yeah and I think um that people piece is really important for law firms at the moment um you know understanding more about their clients how they can interact with their clients um I mean law firms so portals is a really big thing for law firms at the moment for example because it's about how you know sort of traditionally with a law firm you'd you'd, you'd call them up and you know at a weekend they might, might be closed or you know you'd want to talk to them after hours after you'd finished work and you couldn't you couldn't get through to them in any ways law firms lose business that way uh so the law firms that are becoming more more successful are those ones who are for example having a client portal where you can you know contact them at 12 o'clock on a friday night if you wanted to after your night shift finished or whatever it might be um so um but that client piece that kind of understanding clients and um yeah that kind of that that that, that story piece i suppose is um uh is is more and more of a bigger thing and firms are having to become more creative in the way that they develop their technologies uh, and their processes to be able to encompass that um there's a lot i mean technology is such a huge thing for law firms the amount of technology they use the amount that they have to develop themselves and their businesses to uh, to meet clients needs is really quite staggering um, and that's why you get so many innovators within legal because they're you know they're leading the way if you have a look at people you know firms like DLA Piper who lead the way in you know cyber security for example um, you know so law firms are targeted a lot for, uh, for for the details the amount of details uh, that they that they hold so being a, a thought leader in that in that aspect is um, uh, is is critical for law firms and something that law firms strive to to become yeah is there anything in particular that law firms and specifically what you're doing has is there anything in lockdown that has has come out that has had to they've been forced into changing or innovate you know doing something innovative with um, anything specific that you've seen come out of lockdown um well so certainly the client piece um you know is a really really big thing um law firms typically have been uh quite uh well not adverse to using cloud but sort of they, they certainly the cloud technology has been a really really big thing so um you know law firms like many businesses weren't set up to do or a lot of them weren't set up to do um um you know, working from home. So the security uh, issue is a really, really big one around that. You know, how do you make sure that, you know, someone's not got weak internet or weak passwords or whatever when they're working from home? Has everyone got the technology, you know, the laptops, the screens, um, just to simple things that they need to do their day-to-day job? Um, and for a lot of people, the answer was no. I mean, for some law firms, you know, the answer was yes, absolutely. But um, but the, um, the, the vision of, of how people work and how people can manage their their families, how people can manage their work-life balance has been a really, really, really big change for law firms as it has amongst many industries. So we've just finished a research piece recently to see how law firms uh, uh, see themselves going back to work, whether there'll be many people working from home or not, whether there'll be hot desking, whether they need office space that they've got uh, at the moment. Um, And there are really big changes happening within the industry uh, at the moment. Um, although there are, a, you know, a certain set of traditional law firms who believe they'll be going back, um, you know, fully to the office, um, but it'll be interesting what the what the what the staff reaction is to that. You know, yeah. what what will actually happen? Yeah. No, I think I think you know, it's it, flexible flexible working is something I think that will certainly change uh, across all, every industry. I think just in in terms of how people work now. Yeah, absolutely. But I think that kind of piece about, you know, how people work, that work-life balance is a really interesting one. And I find for me, you know, coming off maternity, um, you know, uh, just about to kind of embrace going back into, you know, a full-time job, um, you know, really quite long hours with the community, the side and all sorts. I was kind of just preparing to not really see my child for um, much of the week. Uh, and, And I think sort of what's come out of that. Uh, now is that you know I see her all the time I see her every day I spend lots of time with her every day I'm able to drop her off at nursery to pick her up um you know I'm, I'm able to um uh to spend the time I would have spent commuting 
doing other things with my life. Um, I listen to podcasts quite a lot, for example. Uh, and I think that sort of that's that, um, the ability that that's given, not everyone, but a lot of people to, um, to develop themselves and to become innovators themselves through the time that it's given uh, you know, many people back. I think that's a really, a really wonderful thing that has, has been a benefit that's coming out of the, the, the pandemic. Not that any of us would have wanted it to happen. No, no, that's it. No, but it's, you know, it's, it is what it is. And, and we've been put in this position and I, I think we've had to, and I think lots of people have, you know, have adapted and have used the time to the best of their abilities and, and new and more exciting things are ahead. Absolutely. And <laughs> um, so in terms of what it, all the things that you do, the, the research, the publishing, the events, what is it in your job that you enjoy most? Uh, people definitely so um talking to lots of different people to being able to I do see myself as someone who helps people um so it's trying to think out of the box for for what someone wants to achieve you know um you know people's ultimate goal who I work with companies who I work with is often they just want to meet law firms obviously they want to increase their own revenue obviously that's something that businesses strive to do but uh, at the end of the day, they want to do it in, in creative ways. And we have to be able to, or I have to be able to, you know, think of things that, that we can do to, uh, that, will, that will match what their, their, their ultimate goals or their ultimate outcomes are. Um, and as a business, we have to be creative in being able to deliver that uh, and, to, and to really kind of understand where, um, where challenges lie and how we can best help resolve them. Um, and, um, you know, the... The opportunities that we allow for that through thought leadership through you know creative sessions and all sorts is um is really quite wonderful to work with um just a very kind of quick example would be you know we had um one um one company doing i'm falling back on cybersecurity here but it was just an interesting piece so they did a cybersecurity session at one of our events and they did um uh, they asked us for the list of firms who was coming. No, no more. Just a list of firms who were coming to the to the event um, about a week before, and then they um, they went on the black market and found out all of the passwords they could for all of the firms. And I think they had at least one password from at least one thing that might have been LinkedIn or Facebook or something. But they had they had one one password from everyone who was at the conference. And uh, they did their session. Said. Um, uh, if you'd like to come to our stand at the end, we have your password, yeah, every, the password from every single person here at our stand in, a, in an envelope. Come and get it off us and we'll see what we can do for you to help so you stop this from happening. So uh, that was pretty successful <laughs> for them that time. <laughs> so what, it's very creative as well. <laughs> How do you define creativity then? I mean, obviously you've come from, from a music which is, which is what people would expect to be creative, but people don't necessarily expect the legal business to be creative so what is your definition then because I know you are very creative in the work that you do right now um what would my definition be um I suppose I mean thinking outside of the box is um is is a very important sort of part of it so it's it's not not sticking to uh, a defined set of rules for a certain outcome so um you know the things that you the way you that you can be creative is to have a good understanding of core obstacles or core objectives um, and um, being able to um, uh, innovate and uh, uh, creatively understand ways of um, uh, making improving them to reach your ultimate goal. <laughs> yeah, no, I absolutely agree with that. Absolutely. <laughs> Um, so what's next for you then? What's next for Burlington Media Group? What's next for Emily Nash? So um, business-wise, then uh, it's very much about um, sort of the in-person return. <laughs> so it's about how we are going to do this to effectively manage everyone's expectations, but also come up with things that are creative, that are innovative, that do bring law firms to the next level, that do help them, you know, uh, improve their businesses in, in a different world, in a different environment. So that will be, you know, really interesting to see where things go from now. And we're sort of, we're working on our sort of our stepping stone events at the moment to, to, to bring people back together while there's still social distancing and different requirements in place. Um, for me, I would really like to develop um, musical side uh, of what I do now because I feel like you know I've given um, a lot of time to um, 
uh, to raising my daughter in a pandemic, which is kind of limited time to do things uh, other than other than that. So I'd love to start playing again um, in in public, and I'd love to um, you know you know start playing with other people. I think that's a really a really big part for me that will um, spark off my creative creativity for the future. Yeah, yeah, for well being as well. I think you know absolutely. It's really <laughs> so where can people find you? Obviously on my board here, I've got your LinkedIn. Uh, that's yes find you for your business is there is there anywhere else that people can, can connect especially if they want to play music with you <laughs> um so that would be through my facebook page my name's emily phelps on facebook because that's my married name um i can send you the um the, the link for that that might be quite good um i was previously playing in a duo called the harmonics um harmonics with an x on the end so you can go on there and check out um some of the songs that we had on there, uh, which I'd love to start up again with my friend Melissa, um, who we still who we still meet and play sometimes. Um, and Burlington Media Group, um, you can see sort of all about our business uh, there, which is burlingtonmedia.co.uk um, or lpmmag.co.uk for, for the LPM brand and uh, briefing.co.uk for the large law. Brilliant. Well, I'll put all those links in the uh the description below on the YouTube and I'll, I'll make sure it's uh, it's out there for the for the audio audience too. Thank you. thank you so much for your time today it's been so fascinating to talk to you and I can't believe you've just you know did that whole creativity of the music and then bringing it into the legal thing I mean it's <laughs> who knew that 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 was uh, that could happen I think it's I think it's brilliant well done. Amazing. Thank you very much for having me. I really appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you and uh, enjoy the rest of the summer. Yes, you too, Jackie. Thank you. <laughs> How amazing to hear about Emily's jungle gym career path. There were lots of takeaways from our conversation for me. In particular, how courageous it is to make ourselves vulnerable. Stepping outside our comfort zone and showing our vulnerability connects us with others on a deeper level. Also, how our creativity, in Emily's case music, can transcend language and cultural barriers. What were your takeaways? Connect with me on LinkedIn or contact me through the website powertospeak.co.uk and let me know. And remember, if you, like all of us, are in the persuasion business and need inspiration or tips on the art of verbal communication, then tune in to Leaning Forward with our friend Andrew Thorpe. Find him where you find your podcasts or at andrewthorpe.co.uk forward slash podcast. Thank you so much for listening. If you like what you heard, then please leave a five star review on whichever platform you're on. And if you'd like to receive information about future guests or would like to know more about Power to Speak coaching, then sign up for our fortnightly newsletter at powertospeak.co.uk. Bye for now.